good morning, friends. Um, as Callie told you, we are continuing our series, Loaded Questions. These are questions that Jesus asked, and we think they are loaded questions. They are pregnant with meaning and relevance, not just for his day, but for our day as well. In uh, the first week, we looked at the question, do you want to get well? In the second week, we looked at the question, who do you say that I am? And this morning, we're going to look at um, John chapter 6, where Jesus asks a very important question, and one that um, ministered to me specifically in one of my darkest hours. And that question is, do you want to go away as well? Let's look at John chapter 6. We're going to look at Starting in verse 60, we'll read through verse 71, and then in order to provide context, we'll have to go back to the beginning of the chapter and unpack some of that. But let's just look at uh, verse 60 and start reading there. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can even listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Verse 62. Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are for spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Verse 65, and he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and they no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed, we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. For he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. Would you please pray with me? Father in heaven, we come to you this morning in acknowledging, Father, that our hearts are filled with many distractions. And, um, and Lord, we just declare our dependence upon you. Father, thank you for your grace. Thanks, Lord, that just this morning we've been able to sing praises to your name, be reminded of truth through song. We've been able to celebrate in communion and reminded of your son's broken body and shed blood for us. And Lord, now we come and we read your word and I pray that you would take um, your word and open our eyes, strengthen our hearts, deepen our faith, move our affections for you. That Lord, we might be found faithful in our hour of testing just as Peter was found. When those around us may choose to walk away, Lord, may we declare with great confidence and faith that you are the Christ the Son of the Holy God. And so we surrender this morning to you, asking your blessings upon it, in Jesus' name, 
Amen. Well, this morning, I'm going to unpack three points. The, the first one is simply this, is that many people claim a faith in Jesus. Many people claim to be followers of Christ. I have a faith in Jesus. But the second point is this, is, is that everyone's faith will be tested. At some point or another, what we say we believe is going to be tested. We will come to a point of trial with whether we really believe what we say we believe. And the third point is that a genuine faith endures to the end. A genuine faith, it always endures to the end. So let's unpack the first point. Many people claim a faith in Jesus. In fact, this is exactly what happens to open up the chap, uh, chapter 6 is that people, many people, crowds of people are gathered around Jesus. This is the height of his ministry. He has worked many miracles. He has allowed the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the crippled to walk. And so, as you can imagine, people are gathering around him, throngs of people. He's having even to teach from a boat, right? As people are gathering to hear, what does he have to say? We see in verses one and two, after, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him. Why? Because they saw the signs he was doing on the sick. Now, when you read signs in the book of John, it's really important because there are seven signs in the book of John, which theologically, John is trying to convey to us that Jesus isn't there just to do great party tricks, heal people, feed the multitudes, but all of his miracles are a sign pointing to a great truth. Pointing us to who Jesus Christ is, that God has become man, Emmanuel, God with us, and he has entered into our world. This is the very son of God, the long-awaited Messiah. He is walking in your midst. And so now the people have heard about the miracles he works and they're gathering around him. This is the height of his popularity. But they're gonna come, there's gonna come a turning point in chapter six. As you read from, from there, we see that Jesus feeds 5,000 people. That didn't even count women and children. There's enough food from just a few fish and loaves of bread that there's baskets left over. And so, the people now are not just coming to him looking to be healed, but looking for food. This is the one who could provide food for the multitudes. And in verse 26, Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Again, there's the word sign again. They are coming to him because they have a need and they're looking to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, meet this need. But there's another reason why they come to Jesus. And this is found in verses 14 and 15. And this is going to take a little bit of explanation. But they're also coming to Jesus because they're looking for freedom. Look what it says. When the people saw the sign that he had done, the feeding of the 5,000, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. The prophet was the one who Moses spoke of that God would send. 
And perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And so if you understand anything about your Bible during this day, the nation of Israel is occupied by Rome. And the Jews expected the Messiah who had come, the descendant of David, who had fulfilled the Davidic covenant, and overthrow their enemies. And so when they see the one who could heal people and feed people, they're like, we're going to make him king. The miracle worker is going to be able to work miracles and overthrow our enemies. And so they go to take him by force. And what's crazy is Jesus is like, no, 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 no. That's not why I've come, and so he withdraws. And what I want you to think about is that many of us come to to God, we come to Jesus looking to make a deal. We come to Jesus hoping he will make life work for us. I mean, I made deals with God all the time when I was a kid. Perhaps you did too, right? Lord, if you just help me pass this test. Lord, if, if I could make the team. Lord, if, if she would say yes, it would change my life forever. Please. But then we get older, and, and for many of us, we come to God really making many of the same requests. We come to God, Lord, if you'd just allow me to be married, if you'd just allow me to get this promotion, if you'd just heal my, my, my loved one, if you would just do this, if you just do this. And what happens is, is we impose our expectations on God. We look, we look to God, seizing, wanting to seize him, to take him by force to do what? To fulfill our agenda for him. As if he is accountable to us rather than we are completely dependent and accountable to him. We come to Jesus and he's our healer. He's our financial advisor. He's our matchmaker. He's our political candidate. Lord, be this for me. Make life work for me. But the question is this. What will you do when life doesn't work out? What will you do when he doesn't meet your expectations? Consider the, the answer to this question. Why are you following Jesus? Like if someone were to ask you, hey, tell me, why do you follow Jesus? How would you answer that question? Why are you even here today? Some of us think he'll make our life easier. Some people will even teach you that he'll make you richer. Some people follow Jesus because maybe he'll make me more popular. Why do you follow Jesus? Do you believe God owes you something? Do you come to him with your agenda going, hey God, if you do this. I remember when um, my wife and I, we have four kids and they were really young at the time. We decided we we're gonna take a, a trip down to the hill country. And so we gathered up the kids, we drove down to the hill country, you know, we'd done most of our homework online, we looked at the pictures, did all that, and I remember passing by some really nice houses and apartments, as as we were getting closer to our destination, I grew in excitement and anticipation, like this is going to be a great trip. 
But then as we got a little bit closer to where our apartment was, and I pulled up and I looked at it, I'm like, uh, that doesn't quite look like the picture I saw. I mean, it's close. There's a roof. There's a door. But um, it's not really what I remember online. And so then we go inside. I said, hey, we're going to make the most of it. You know, I'm going to be the good dad. I'm going to be optimistic, cheerful, right? And I go inside, and uh, four young kids, road trip, and now it's time to let's all have snacks. And so I go to the kitchen, and I open up the, the cabinet, and I grab a plate, and I kid you not, it felt like there was syrup on the plate. Like it was, it was nasty. It was dirty. And uh, so I you know, go to the next plate and kind of the same thing. Like these haven't even been washed. And uh, I don't want to say anything to my wife, but it seems a little odd. I, I arrive and there I am. All of a sudden have a newfound love for washing dishes. And so I'm putting dishes in the dishwasher. And then I say, hey, kids, come on down. And uh, I think maybe we can go swim or something like that. And so my kids are running around upstairs. They come downstairs and they're little at the time. Like I said, they all sit on the couch and they're barefooted. And when they sit down, all their feet are up like this and I can see them. And they are all, every single one of them, just black with dirt. Every one of them. And I go, where have y'all been? Oh, we're just running around upstairs. And I'm like, this is not turning out the way I had hoped it would. I just wanted out of there because what I was told was reality was very different from my experience. And here's the thing, gang. I think there are many people who are telling you when you walk with God, you're gonna be happier, healthier, more successful, more popular. Everything's gonna go up and to the right. Now, walking with God, for sure will bring you a joy that you cannot experience apart from him. But let me tell you something. It is on this side of heaven, we are going to experience pain and setback and heartache and disappointment. Jesus even tells us, right, in Luke chapter nine, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Following Jesus comes at a cost. If you're going to follow Jesus, it is a life of sacrifice and self-denial. But all too often, we come to Jesus hoping to make a deal that he'll make our life work. In fact, candidly, if you go into a lot of Christian bookstores or the Christian section of a book, it's really just kind of self-help veneered in Christian talk of how you can make God make your life easier. And this sets us up for profound disappointment. Many people claim to have a faith, but when they arrive in the apartment and everything's dirty and sticky and it's not what they expected, now you enter into a time of testing. What do you believe? Well, in John 6, the crisis of faith has nothing to do with dirty apartments or blown vacations. But the people have a crisis of faith because of what Jesus teaches. He's fed the 5,000 people. It's the time of the Passover. And 
He begins to teach the crowds because he's not here just to gain a popularity contest and to create a massive following. He wants the people to understand who he is. He's looking for people to trust him. And so now he's going to take this moment, he's going to teach them, and he's going to make some outrageous claims. And the people are offended. And they begin to walk away. Let's look at verse 32. Notice what Jesus says. Then Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And notice in what verse 41 says, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Jesus feeds the 5,000 people. It's the time of Passover. He reminds them of what God did in the wilderness following the Exodus and how God provided bread for them in the wilderness. And he makes these outrageous claims. He claims to offer a bread that's even greater than Moses. And the religious leaders are like, hey man, nobody's greater than Moses. Who do you think you are? He claims to be the very bread of life and that he has been sent by the Father. At this point, the people are so offended by his teaching, they're out. They're out. He's no longer gonna fulfill their purposes, meet his agenda for their lives, and so they walk away. He goes on in verse 53 and he talks about, hey, if you're gonna follow me, you gotta understand. And he speaks of, you're gonna eat of my body and drink of my blood. And at that point, even his disciples were told. His disciples were like, "This this is just plain strange. I can't follow you anymore. Look at verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, even they said, this is a hard saying. This is a hard teaching. Who can even listen to it? I can't even listen to this anymore. And so the disciples, not the 12, the disciples, there was crowds following Jesus, but those who consider themselves followers, learners, even they said, I've had enough. You see, what happens is, is, is Jesus works miracles. People want to be fed. They want to be healed. But then he calls them to something And then they go, hey, I'm out. You're demanding something of me. That's not what I expected. That's not what I signed up for. And I'm tapping out. And Jesus warns them, he goes, hey, if you're offended by my teaching, wait till you see what's about to happen. I'm about to be lifted up. I'm about to be mocked, betrayed, beaten, put on a cross. Verse 61, but Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, you take offense at this. Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? You you take offense at my teaching? You haven't seen anything yet. And then verse 63, he says this, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. 
His point is this, is that genuine belief comes by means of the Holy Spirit. There are people who are checking out, and what he's saying is, is hey, listen, it's the Spirit of God who's going to um, help you to continue to remain faithful. It's the Spirit of God who's gonna help you understand the teaching. It's the Spirit of God who gives life. And just so that we understand that none of this is taking Jesus by surprise, we're reminded of his, of his omniscience in verse 64 and 65. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. Verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and they no longer walked with him. So the chapter begins with large crowds of people. Everyone wants to follow Jesus. Many are proclaiming a faith. But then they come to a point of testing and what tests them is his teaching. And the religious leaders, they're offended. They don't like what he claims. And even his disciples, his companions, they say, hey, I can't follow you anymore. What you're asking of me is too much. What you want me to believe about you is too much. So I'm out. It's at this point that Jesus looks at the 12, the apostles. And he looks at them and he asks the question, not just of them, but what I would say he asks of all of us during our time of testing. What about you? Are you gonna leave as well? Are you gonna leave as well? You see, we must make a decision when life doesn't go our way. When we hear the word cancer, when we're overlooked for the job, when we're betrayed by a loved one, when we experience heartache and pain, what are we to conclude? Is it that moment when, when God doesn't make life work that we're tapping out? What is it for you that, hey, if this happens, God, you know what? I'm out. I'm out. What expectation do you have? What are you coming to God with saying, hey, bless this or I'm walking away? Will you stay or will you go? You see, we're, the reality is we're in one of three places. Some of you have experienced that crisis of faith before where You've, you've been through a, a trial of testing where you were close or maybe you did tap out. Some of you are in it right now. Maybe you're here today because life is, feels unbearable. It feels overwhelming. And you're just wondering, does God have anything for you? Or maybe that crisis is right around the corner and you will soon experience it. I want to tell you about a time where um, it was the greatest crisis of, of faith that I experienced. And I tell you this um, because 
I want to talk to those who find themselves in a similar place, and I want to offer you hope. And I want to offer you encouragement. But um, when my son was four years old, he was diagnosed with cancer. And many of you heard that story, and um, you know that my son today is doing well. You know how the story ends. But at this time, when he was diagnosed with cancer, I, I walk into this hospital room, and I see him in this bed, and um, he looks terribly sick at the time. He's four. And it's that night in 2007 that I felt utterly alone, utterly alone. My wife was pregnant with our fourth child. My two daughters were at home. And there I was with him in the hospital room about two o'clock in the morning and everything was dark and the floor was quiet. And I'm looking out at the highway and I'm seeing the cars go by. It's like the whole world's going by and yet a bomb's going off in my house and I can't make sense of anything. I'd walked with the Lord at that time for many years. I graduated from Dallas Theological Seminary with honors. I had memorized and studied a lot of scripture. And do you know how much Bible I could tell you that night? I had nothing. My mind was blank. I mean, I had, I, I had nothing. And I felt nothing but despair. The nurse walked in and she was covered in head to toe in protective gear, literally over her tennis shoes. Rubber gloves, mask, covering her head. She takes a sealed tray and she breaks the seal and opens up the tray. And I look at her and I go, what, what are you doing? And she goes, well, I'm about to give him chemotherapy. I said, well, why are you dressed like that? And she said, well, I can't allow any of this to touch my skin. So there I am as a dad. And they're about to inject a poison into my four-year-old boy. When she left and I looked at him and he felt terrible. And as he slept, I wept. And I'm telling you, I heard the voice of evil. Walk away. Punt. Tap out. God's betrayed you. And my mind was blank. And as sure as I heard the voice of evil, I also heard the voice of hope. And it came from this passage. John chapter six. Because as clear as I am standing in front of you, I also heard, are you gonna walk away as well? I mean, is this it, Blake? In ways in which I've blessed you and you've walked with me for this many years, this is it. This is the turning point. You want to tap out now? And I remembered the words of Peter. And what I'd offer to you is this. Genuine faith endures to the end. And we learn from Peter's answer. He says, Lord, 
to whom shall we go? Where am I going to go? I mean, where am I going to go? You have the words of eternal life. You alone, you have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you're the Holy One of God. Peter's answer reveals that those with a genuine faith, one, they choose to stay with Jesus even when others walk away. Those with a genuine faith, they choose to stay with Jesus even when others walk away. They recognize, well, where would I go? Friends, your theology matters. It matters so much. And you do not determine your theology on the 10th floor at Children's Medical Center or you will land in a really dark place. You've got to know what you believe. You've got to know the character of God because you will come to a point of testing. And I'm telling you the story so you don't believe the nonsense that's being sold out there about how God just always wants you to be happy, wealthy, and successful and popular, and when you follow him, life always works. That's not true. You will experience pain, but he never leaves you, and he meets you in your time of need. And I'm talking to the few of you who know exactly what I'm talking about, have sat in that room before, and you've heard the voice of evil. And what I want to do is, is I just want to sit there, is I want to go into that hospital room with you, I want to put my arm around you and I want to tell you, I want to remind you, follow the way of Peter. Do not tap out because God is good. We know and serve and love a God who's entered into our world of pain and he offers us hope. He is not like Buddha, immune from our pain, eyes closed, arm folded, arms folded, indifferent. Is a God who loves us, who came in flesh and blood to provide a way of escape so that we might experience life. He's been tempted in all things we are, and yet without sin. And he meets us in our time of need. A genuine faith. Those with a genuine faith, they trust in his word. Notice what Peter says. You have the words of eternal life. We recognize even when the world betrays us, even when our circumstances, it feels like, it doesn't feel like God is anywhere near. I, let, I trust in his word. It is my compass. It is my guide. It tells me true north, even when life doesn't make sense. I may not feel like God's near me. I may not be happy about where I am, but I know what's true. I know what is true, regardless of how I feel. And those with a genuine faith, they profess him as Lord. Notice what Peter said, we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is in reference to the way Isaiah described God as the sovereign one. We've come and we've known to believe that you are sovereign. Nothing takes you by surprise. Nothing makes God go, oh man, I didn't see that coming. But God is there with us, providentially at work, writing our story, and he always has our best interest in mind. I remember um, going to camp 
And uh, I was kind of bullied into doing the ropes course. I don't like heights. And uh, I found myself standing on top of what they called, I found out later, the pamper pole. Anybody ever done the pamper pole? A few of you? Well, the reason why they call it the pamper pole is because when you get up there, you're going to wish you had pampers so you don't embarrass yourself. It's scary. You stand on the pole, your legs start to do this. It feels like the pole starts to do this a little bit. And the goal is to jump to the other side and grab the trapeze. And so I stood up there trying to look courageous, scared to death, and I jumped. And when I jumped, I hit the trapeze, but my body weight took me, and all of a sudden, I found myself flying through the air. I was terrified. It felt like my world was spinning, and I was surely going to die. But as you know, you're harnessed in. You can't see it, but there's a rope that's tied to your back. You could jump as far and as high as you try, but it is impossible for you to hit the ground. It's impossible. It, it can be scary. It can feel overwhelming. You're, you can feel like you're free falling, but you're never gonna hit the ground. And what I wanna tell you, friends, there's gonna come a point in your life where you are gonna be faced with the question, is this the time when you walk away? And you gotta answer, what am I gonna do? A genuine faith, it endures to the end. But what I wanna tell you is that laced throughout this whole chapter is Something also really profound, because I don't want you to feel like, oh man, it's gonna be the time of testing. What am I gonna do? And what if I'm not strong enough? And, and what I'm telling you is, is that God's spirit never leaves you. And your world can feel out of control, but his spirit is like that rope. Regardless of how you feel, you are tied in. Now, this is the deep end of the water of theology of what I'm about to share with you, which I can't completely unpack, but I know many of you understand. And I want you to write these verses down because what we see in verse 44 is a genuine faith is initiated by God. A genuine faith is initiated by God's spirit. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 44 says, a genuine faith not only is initiated by God, but it's empowered by God. Look at verses 50 through 51. Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. What he's saying here is, is he saying, hey, just as we need food in order to live, and we're completely dependent upon food in order to survive, spiritually, we've got to give our lives to Jesus in order to be rightly related to God, to be made new, to be forgiven, to experience life. Spiritual life is empowered by God. And thirdly, verse 37, the spiritual life is secured, a genuine faith 
is secured by God. Look at the promise of verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Here's what I'm telling you. When you find yourself in the ICU, when you find yourself in the living room brokenhearted, when you receive the phone call, I want you to know it is God's spirit that sustains you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He will give you what you need. He will hold you and he will not let you hit the ground. The Heidelberg Catechism is not one many people are familiar with, but catechism is not a word we use in church very often anymore, but it just simply means to teach. In 1563, this confession of faith was written to instruct, to teach the church, to encourage them. And the catechisms were arranged in a question and answer format. What I wanted to close with is, is the way it starts. The question is this, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Listen to this answer. That I am not my own, but belong body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that everyone who has trusted in your son, just as this confession says, would be reminded today that they are not their own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who has fully paid for our sins with his precious blood and has set us free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves us in such a way that without the will of our heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from our head. Indeed, Lord, all things work, must work together for our salvation. Therefore, by your Holy Spirit, you also assure us eternal life and make us heartily willing and ready for now on to live for you. Lord, would you strengthen us today for whatever we are facing or whatever tomorrow holds, that Lord, we would not come to you with a set agenda asking you to fulfill our purposes and our needs, but Lord, we would come to you by faith, trusting you. And when the crowds walk away, Lord, when it looks like it looks like the world's been turned upside down and we can't make sense of what's happening around us. May we, like Peter, declare, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And may we hold on with a genuine faith, knowing it is your spirit that empowers us. 
and never lets go. It's by your spirit we pray and in the name of Jesus, amen.